Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast, where we bring you the best growth strategies from the world's experts to help build your business fast. And now, here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Today, joining me is Sean Shepard of GrowthX. I brought Sean onto the show to discuss how to generate revenue now, like right now, and I know you all need it. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. My pleasure. Sean is doing this outside. I don't understand how he's got such wonderful audio, but he's doing it outside. I can see him right now, uh, and his uh, wonderful German Shepherd is outside there with him. Sean, can you tell us about yourself in 100 words or less? I'll do my best. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur turned venture capitalist and educator uh, and ecosystem builder. Um, I'm the founder. I've had three exits. Um, I've also had a very expensive learning experience along the way. GrowthX is my fifth, and I like to think final uh, attempt at, at uh, giving back to the world at scale. Okay, wonderful. Uh, I think you might be the first guest that's actually kept on 100 words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. So, you know, making the complex understandable is not an easy thing. It isn't. It's really hard, actually, and uh, we might even touch on that today. So... The topic for today, uh, very relevant. If uh, you're joining us from the future, it's April 13th. We're still in lockdown. Who knows when this is going to be lifted? Hopefully soon. But you know, there's a lot of companies suffering. Um, I've done some research out there. I've looked at uh, some of the things that HubSpot's put out. HubSpot uh, put out uh, some data around their 70,000 B2B users and what was happening on their CRM and marketing system. So it's uh, pretty interesting to see. Business is obviously down. It wasn't as down as I thought it was going to be, but a lot of it's down. Deal flow is down. Everything's down. Doesn't surprise anybody on this call or any, anybody uh, listening to this podcast in this day and age. But, you know, what can we do about it? Are we just going to sit back and take it? Are we going to, you know, wait until the government decides to reopen the economy? Or, you know, I wanted to bring Sean on because I'm like, look, you've, had some expensive learning experiences, at least one that he's admitting to. I've had several. Um, what can we do to increase revenue? But first, I want to give you a little bit of a background because Sean's very unique. He's got a lot of experience and he's built something remarkable and I want him to talk about it. So, Sean, what does GrowthX do? Yeah, sure. So, we invest in companies, in, in particular uh, B2B uh, seed stage technology startup companies. We help them grow through our market development accelerator, which is focused on helping our companies develop markets and make money, as opposed to traditional startup accelerators that are focused on helping companies develop products and raise money. We have GrowthX Academy, which is a boot camp that teaches these market development roles, sales, marketing, our core market acceleration programming, uh, UX design thinking, uh, as well as data science as a way to help transitioning adults who want to enter the high-tech world uh, without actually being coders um, and upskill and reskill current workforces. Um, and then we also work with large corporations on commercializing new innovations using the same methodology. Um, <clears throat> and then we work with governments and other economic support organizations around the world, helping them build their own um, tech ecosystems so that they don't lose their top talent to Silicon Valley and they can create more jobs and economic growth through tech and entrepreneurship where they are. Okay. So you've developed a system, you know, framework that you're licensing to other incubators. Is that right? And other companies? 
Yeah, and it all started with myself and my partners all being serial entrepreneurs turned investors, turned frustrated investors because our companies weren't growing. And they weren't growing not because they couldn't build a product. They weren't growing because they couldn't build their market. And one of the interesting things that's happened in the last decade or so, Mark, is we've shifted into this age of applied technology or applied innovation, if you will, where it's never been cheaper or easier to build products and get them to market. But as a result, it's also never been more difficult or expensive to get traction for them in the market. Most startups and most innovations fail. And most of the reasons they fail have to do with the behaviors of the team and the markets, not the products and the technology. You know, the first time I was a part of a founding team that raised money, um, 20 years ago, we raised money from Guy Kawasaki's venture fund garage, eight and a half million bucks, just to build an MVP, what's called a minimum viable product. Today, 20 years later, I could build that same product for about 200,000 bucks. Interesting. Because all the infrastructure exists now. Yeah. Right? Most of what we're taking to market, 80% of what's getting invested in by venture is easy to copy, easy to build. So what differentiates you? And that's what we set out to try and solve for. So we built our own methodology that was designed in a measurable way to do three things. The first was to find the truth about where a product fits in the market, if it does at all, and what to do about it. The second is to create a functional learning organization out of the team of people responsible for pursuing that truth, knowing that you have limited time, money, and resources to find it. And then the third was to find a stinking business model. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can you make money in some sort of predictable, profitable, scalable way um, along the way? And if you can do those three things, you can find what we call product market fit, which is basically a, a, a fancy way of saying, I've got more demand than I can fill. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, before the call, um, you and I talked about market-based problems. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit and explain what you mean by that and how you're solving them? Yeah, I think number one, especially when you're dealing with entrepreneurs and, and, uh, and product development focused teams, is they're very much focused on the product as opposed to the problem. And it comes out in how they communicate, how they position, how they go to market, uh, and how they message to their market, whether it's at the individual level or at, or at the company to company level. So, and it actually bleeds into the first question you were going to ask me anyway about, you know, what can you do to generate revenue now? And I've got real six very specific tactics that, that people can employ. And number one is to orient yourself around the market and the problem, not your company and your product. Get your mind focused on what is the one thing that you're solving for right now really well, regardless of how well your product solves it. Okay. Because Often, what wins in technology today is the insights of the people that are deploying that technology and ser- servicing it and supporting it as much as the actual technology itself. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So one of the things I'm asking our portfolio of, of startups to do um, is to go back to a service-first mindset um, and think about how you can solve someone's problem today. Don't worry about the vision of what your product is going to be or what it could be after some massive implementation or onboarding. Um, And once your people have started to, once your customers have started to use it in some unique or interesting way, but think more deeply about what problem can you solve for them right now, regardless of where your product is. 
um, and focus on that first and keep an open mind be creative think about adjacencies to what you do think about disruptive ways of solving problems um, not just the things that fit within your template right and that's tactic one what's number two tactic two is now because you have let's say within this covid crisis that we're sitting in um, this period of time where you can really only um, help a certain amount of people uh, or better yet ask yourself the question if i'm stuck in this this situation for the next six months how what do i need to do to survive it um, not thrive in it necessarily but survive it how can i stay on the field long enough to learn so put together what i call a market milestone and say over the next defined period of time i need this many new opportunities or this many new customers or what i would call a win yep. at the bottom of the funnel and you define that win uh by a use case right uh by potential outcomes by a profile um and then you say all right i need let's say three customers to generate this much revenue to keep my lights on over the next six months um what's the best and most ideal situation um where you can help those people how can you clearly take that use case we talked about in tactic one and apply it to a very small group of people so if you say you need three customers over the next six months and you've got a 90-day sales cycle how many opportunities do you need to create qualified opportunities in order to convert to three right yeah, so you, and that's so you're reversing the funnel. You're just saying, hey, start correct. with the end in mind. Look at the the, the revenue you need. Uh, hopefully, either break even or make a profit, and then reverse it all the way back up the funnel. And your answers are going to go are going to be along the way. Is that is that what you're saying? Absolutely. You reverse engineer your funnel from the bottom up by defining the win, and then just running those conversions. If I need three uh, deals, my traditional conversion rate is is 20%, maybe right now it's 10 because it's a difficult time. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe you need, you know, maybe you need 30 qualified opportunities, which means you need a certain amount of qualified conversations and a certain amount of initial prospects to make contact with. You got it. Uh, and you fill that funnel that way. But do it in a very, like I said, in a very, very focused way that's centered around uncovering and identifying the problems that exist right now for your people in your, in your funnel. Because guess what? They're just as scared and and just as challenged right now and just as stressed as you are but there are certain things that that they need that you can work on um, and focus on the need not the want and if you're in a business where what you do is a nice to have not a have to have then you're gonna have to figure out a way to be a have to have in the short term and who knows maybe that will turn into something unique for you down the road yeah I've seen Plenty of companies pivot, and if you've followed some of my videos on LinkedIn, I kind of highlight. Well, as I see them, I just come out and video and just talk about them, and uh, it's pretty unique what what people are doing. Absolutely, fifty percent of of successful uh, startups pivot at least once. Thirty percent pivot at least twice during their uh, during their development on their path to product market fit. So it's not uncommon at all. Yeah, and there's been been plenty of companies that have uh, really made uh, the name for themselves in these kind of recessionary periods or 
almost depressionary periods in 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008. So uh, something to keep in mind. Anyway, That's right. You've all list. heard of Airbnb and drugs yeah. and Slack. Yep. <laughs> all <laughs> done in recessionary, severe recessionary times. So keep that in mind. All right. So what's number three? Number three is to build a customer profile that I call, you know, we've heard my good friend Aaron Ross's term, ICP, ideal customer profile. Yep. Call this an initial customer profile, which is all about finding Mr. Right now, not Mr. Right. And so because, like I said, if you only need three customers and you only need to reach out to 30 or 40 or 50, you can get super narrow on a customer profile. Yeah. That is focused exclusively on a use case that you can crush right now where there's a tremendous potential need. And then you narrow your profile down to a really finite, small subset of people, and you establish a set of criteria. And then you go out and you start those conversations, and those conversations need to be focused on fit, not on selling. It's all about de determining whether or not someone has the need that you hypothesize that they have. And focus on the problem. And that, beginning that conversation, you need to just be open-minded, you need to listen and you need to let them take you on a journey and you need to uncover that, that great need. Um, it may not be what you hypothesized, but if you can start that conversation and get them to open up and tell you the truth, um, that's important. You know, it's like I tell all of my portfolio companies, when you're going to market, you're only asking for two things and neither one of them are revenue. You're asking for time and truth. Well said. Well said. How about number four? Number four, in 25 words or less, this almost like, sounds like something you might say, Mark. In 25 words or less, can you construct a value hypothesis around that problem that you can deliver in a repeatable, predictable way uh, to that subset of customers that you've put into the top of your funnel? Right? What problem do they have? How do you think you can solve it? What does that look like? For example, I think, look, I, I, I think I understand what situation you're in right now and the problems associated with it. And I think I can help you in this way because I've helped others like you. Um, here's what I propose. Can we have a conversation? Yeah. And now more than ever, tactic five and six are all about now how do you monetize that, right? Um, once you've had that conversation around that value hypothesis and you've let them talk to you and tell you, um, yes or no, right? Um, this either works or it doesn't. It's sort of like one of my mentors, Seth Godin, would say. He's like, here, I made this. What do you think? Right? right? Tell me what you think. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm trying to understand if I can help you right now. Um, and, and I may very well not be um, on the right path with this, but if I'm the right person for you, then give me a chance to help you in another way. Yeah. And as you... As you posit that, then you think about that. Think about the people that you can reach out to right now that you feel like would be open to that conversation, would be, once again, willing to tell you the truth. Because, you know, Mark, we live in a time where people won't tell us the truth if it creates more conflict or more work. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you so can't get that out of people for the most part. Yeah, so you've got to hone that value hypothesis and then deliver it in a way that allows people to feel safe in telling you that truth. 
And then when you just construct that proposal, it needs to be a proposal that gives them less work, not more. The last thing anybody needs right now is additional stress. Yeah. Okay. So is that five or is that five and six? That was, that was four, really. And then five is monetized, right? How would you charge to solve their problem today? Um, what's the fastest and easiest way to do business together? Right? What can I do right now to be helpful to you? This is a classic example of, of you know, give people, uh, sell to them a way they're used to buying. One example of that, especially for those without fully formed products who are still having difficulty, is to, is to charge for your services, not for your products. People are used to, to spending money on labor. They know how to budget for it. They have a line item for it. What can you do from a, what can you customize? What can you deliver as a solution right now that's based on headcount, time and materials, as opposed to um, licensing revenue or trying to fiddle with a pricing model that you're still struggling with? Make it as easy as possible um, for those people to do business with you. Reduce as much friction in the funnel as you can. And don't make it complicated. Keep it easy. Wonderful. I mean, these are such valuable lessons. Um, what about number six? Number six is all about outreach, right? This is what we call market outreach and execution. So you're going to construct a campaign of some, of some sort um, where you're going to target the people at the top of your funnel. And it may be multi-pronged in approach. You, know, you can build the market message map. You can be elaborate if you want. You know, you might have outbound email. You might have some phone scripts and talking points. You might have um, some things you would do uh, through some other channels. But really, because this is such a small and intimate focused effort, you want to build a campaign that is what I call synchronous or live. Get people on the phone. Get them on Skype or Zoom. Get them six feet away or more, but make sure it's a live conversation so that you can really deliver what you're, you, what you're proposing in an honest and open forum where everybody can share their vulnerabilities together um, and be as intimate as you can possibly be now more than ever. I have been saying this for years, Mark. I know you probably feel the same way. People have been using technology as a crutch. Yeah. Avoid having live human to human interaction for way too long. Um, Ironically, now I think we can leverage that technology to have more intimate live interactions. So pick up the damn phone, right? Use text. Use the most intimate forms of communication that you can, that you can get with these customers. Find out what the medium is that they most go to in these situations. Propose a, a, a Zoom happy hour with them just to catch up and, see, and shoot the shit and see what's going on. Um, whatever it is. But try and do it live. And then once you get them on the phone, you need to have a structure to your conversation to determine whether or not the value hypothesis that you constructed is in fact true. And I always revert back to my favorite conversational framework here from Dr. Neil Rackham, the author of Spin Selling and Major Account Strategies. He and his team spent 10 years evaluating and observing over 30,000 sales conversations to try and find patterns about what makes a great uh, conversation and what doesn't. And they found out that 
people go through the same four simple steps when they decide they're going to buy something. They first have to recognize a need, and then they have to acknowledge that need, uh, first implicitly and then ultimately explicitly. In other words, they've got to say, I have a need to solve a particular problem. Right. Once they do, then they go into phase two, which is they evaluate their options. Um, do I do nothing? Do I use an existing solution? Do I try something new? Um, et cetera. Then they have to get their concerns resolved. It's called the resolution of concerns phase. What happens if it doesn't work? The last time I did this, it didn't work, and here's why. How are you going to address that for me? And then ultimately, based on those three things, they will make a decision. What Rackham and his team learned was that the most successful sellers and marketers spend 80% of their time on phase one helping customers and prospects understand whether or not they do in fact have a need and clearly defining that need and then determining whether or not they can solve it. Because if they do that first one right, the other three happen seemingly overnight within yeah. the context of the traditional sales cycle of the industry that they're in. The poor sellers do the opposite. They always want to get to the close because that's how we're trained and conditioned from our bosses and our bosses' bosses and everybody else who has, who's telling us we got to hit a number. And we know that people need something because that's why we're calling them anyway, right? So intellectually, it makes sense for us to say, yeah, I think I can help you. But it doesn't matter what we think. And this is back to market-based problems instead of you and your product and your own needs. You're not going to get what you want until you help somebody else get what they want. And closing is just a byproduct of being fully immersed in the experience of helping somebody else get what they want. And the fastest way to do that is to develop and uncover and mutually agree on a need. Now, finally, how do you do that? Um, Dr. Rackham came up with a very simple investigative questioning framework that helps you uncover that need, and that's called SPIN, and it's an acronym for Situation, Problem, Implication, and Need. So you start by asking situational questions, right? You go back to the value hypothesis and the customer profile that you created, and you say, what kind of questions can I ask them about their current situation that would help me identify potential problems with the way they're currently doing things? And then you listen to the answers from them. So one example might be, okay, um, I sell um, HR, uh, I might sell um, I-9 verification services or employment screen. So classic situational questions is how do you screen your employees today? Tell me about that. Walk me through the journey. What tools do you use? Who does what? What's the workflow? And then as you're listening to that, you're listening for any potential problems that you might identify, and then you start to ask questions about those particular problems. So tell me more about that. And see, it feels like there might be a gap here. Is that a problem for you? Yes or no? And you start down that path. And if they don't agree that they're problems, then they're not problems. And you don't need to try and convince them that they are. You need to move on to something that actually is. And as you're doing this, you're qualifying people not just into your funnel, but out of it. You've got to be focused. Who can I actually help right now? Because the more time I'm spending with somebody I can't help is time I'm not spending with people I can. Opportunity cost. And then based on that problem, you ask the I questions. What's the implication? In other words, what's the impact on my business of me having a manual screening process? Well, it might cost me more money and labor. Um, it might cost me in quality, so it creates risk, right? And what are the reasons people buy, especially in business? They, they buy to make money, save money, 
create or maintain a competitive advantage, and my favorite, stay out of prison. <laughs> Risk, right? Liability. Mm-hmm. And so when you're constructing your value hypothesis and you're asking these implication questions, you need to tie all of the problems that they have to those quantifiable things. And if you do, it's much easier for yourself and for them to build a case as to why they need your help now. And then finally, the end, which is need. The need payoff. Based on the way you're currently screening your employees' situation, I see quality and, and, um, and, and, and money problems, right? Um, that result, that's P, that result in these kinds of losses, that's I. As a result, do you, do you or do you not believe that you need to make a change around that? And if you did make a change, how would it benefit you? And then you let them tell you. It's not you telling them. They have to come to this truth on their own. If they don't, they're not going to act. Wonderful. That's how you uncover whether or not you can help someone now. And it's how they also uncover whether or not they need you now. Yeah, I feel like you just gave a, a mini course on the spin selling book by uh, Neil Rackham. I did a little bit. And the reason I love that one, Mark, is, you know, I've read and studied uh, for 20 plus years, every sales methodology and process there is out there. I'm a strong believer that professional selling should have its rightful place in society, being right alongside being a doctor or an accountant or an engineer or a lawyer. Well, not a lawyer. Um, But you get my point that, that there is a professionalism to the best sellers in the world. They're not educated and supported in the way that traditional um, disciplines are. And so I read it all and I try uh, to take a little bit from everything. Right. I would say that Dr. Rackham's stuff is the best for this kind of, for my world, which is industry and sector and product agnostic um, because it's all about the human to human learning, Right. It's a scientific approach to uncovering the truth, and it works in every product market sector and vertical, and it's rooted in data. Yeah, I mean, you can see from the results of companies that utilize spin selling um, that it, if you know what you're doing, you know how to teach it, and you know um, how to coach it and, and reinforce it, that absolutely uh, this that works. I mean, there's a couple others that I, I like solution selling as well. I absolutely. Um, Love it. Yep. Um, but it, and I don't know if you touched on this, but I, I know you're a big believer as I am, but it is a process. It is a system that you got to put in place for your sales team and you got to just coach it over and over and over again until it, they've got it cold. I completely agree with you. You have to have process because whether we love it or not, people are the most complex part of any mm-hmm. system. Yeah. They are. And you can't measure people effectively if you don't have a process under which to do that. That's right. Well, good. I mean, uh, wow. I mean, if you haven't, I would rewind what we, what, uh, what Sean just said and listen to it again, because, um, I, he's speaking my, my language. And, and if you've listened to this for any length of time, you know, bits and pieces of this have been spread out. He's just summarized it in about 15 minutes. So make sure you do that. I know I will. Um, I mean, you've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about, but I do want to highlight 
if you've got any, anybody in your portfolio or other companies that you're seeing out there doing it really well, I mean, we've been in quarantine for what, 35, 40 days. Yeah. What are the companies that you're seeing that are really taking your advice to, to heart and capitalizing on it? Well, I would say there are two kinds of companies that are doing that, Mark. That's a great question. Um, you really sparked a thought. It, it, let's just say an observation that I've, a, a takeaway that I've gotten from the last uh, month, month and a half. Because I spend, just to give everybody context, um, I kind of have four constituencies right now. I've got my startups that are all freaking out about capital, right? They either are trying to make money or raise money. And so they're having a challenge. I've got my corporate clients that are not doing anything except triage. Yeah. And then talking to me about uh, what's my thought on the future and what's that going to shake out? And how's everything going to look? And how's, that, how's the world going to change? Then I've got my government clients who are still moving forward because, you know, God bless them. Governments just continue to grow. Uh, they, don't, they don't get smaller. <laughs> so they're still moving forward. They just might be moving more forward more slowly. But then there's the community at large that's looking for thought leadership, right? And so they're, having these, they're asking the questions that you're asking. Um, and, and through the course of, of, I probably have had 150 to 200 conversations in the last four to six weeks around these topics. I'm seeing two kinds of companies doing well right now. The first is probably the most obvious, which is products in markets that have a great need right now based on the current conditions, right? Um, and that need has become even greater. So we were talking about one off the air just earlier, Red 5 Pro, which is the Twilio for live streaming, right? They power zero latency or low, ultra low latency live video streaming for many of the live um, uh, uh, you know, web apps that you can think about, right? Whether it's, um, in fact, they're, they're working on a project right now with SpaceX to power the, the live satellite internet launch for them. Um, they're, they're even doing their, working on the highly secure internal stream because they won't, Elon won't use Zoom um, for all the reasons we now know uh, what the security problems have been with yeah. Zoom. Or they're powering um, NBA.com or MajorLeagueBaseball.com, things like that. So they're getting inundated right now with everybody who's trying to build digital work from home, virtual environments. Um, so they're getting nailed. But then the other kind of company is the one that's run by people with the right kind of attitude and mindset, grit and determination to bear down and get focused uh, when they've, somebody's got their boot on their, on their head. And the world has got their boot on everybody's face right now. And then the question is, is what are you going to do about it? Um, are you going to sit there and whine and bitch and moan? Um, or are you going to get focused and narrow your efforts in a more intense way um, into things like we just talked about? Where can, I, where can I cut right now? What can I do to survive? Who can I help? Um, what options do I have? You know, I do a lot of talking about growth hacking because that's one of the big things we teach at the academy. Yeah. And people always ask me, how do I define hacking? Um, I define it as resourcefulness. Um, to me, it's not the strong that are going to survive. It's the most resourceful. Not the ones with the most resources, but the ones with the most resourcefulness. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I mean, you're defining kind of the creed of, of growth hackers everywhere. 
Uh, maybe yeah. that's what some experimentation and some testing. And because uh, you can be really resourceful, but you have to continue to test and hypothesize and maybe circulate it amongst very smart people to see, hey, is this a smart way to go about it or is there a better way or maybe we tweak it a little bit and it really helps. Yeah, the rules of the road have been completely turned on their ear and, th and or thrown out the window right now. So how are you going to react and adapt to that? You know, it's often not how we act in life, but how we react that defines who we are, yeah. our outcomes are. And now's the time to be open and creative to any and everything, to figure it out, to survive it. Very well said. So, I mean, I could go on and on with you, uh, Sean. I'm supposed to keep this around 30 minutes, so we're going to wrap things up. I, I ask everybody these two final questions, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can include your portfolio companies for all I care, but what is the hottest digital marketing technology that you are using or want to use today? You know, it's interesting. Um, they're, they're constantly changing, um, but I think, um, well, and now more than ever, I mean, I've been waiting for video search to be a thing. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, and it's getting better. Um, YouTube claims to do it. They claim to do it, but I think what's happening is at the consumer level, you know, the, the voice-activated search experiences that Amazon have, you know, and Siri have brought to us, more so Amazon because they're doing it better than anybody. Uh, and even you think about um, the Xfinity um, with voice-activated remotes for search, hmm. making it easy to, to search um, in that fashion is, is starting to become a thing that people can exploit. Because I'm a big believer in the greatest hack there is, in my view, um, is finding an emerging channel and exploiting it before anybody else does. Yeah. I watched my partner who founded Match.com do that, Will Bunker. He, he figured out how to do affiliate marketing uh, in the 90s with nice. before anybody else did. And they grew 30% a month, month over month for five straight years before they yeah. sold out. See? Nice. Um, you know, I've seen it. Uh, it's funny, you and I have known each other for a while, but we found each other for this podcast thing off this matchmaker.fm, yeah. which is this new, I think, interesting emerging channel for anybody who wants to be a podcast guest or podcast host. Um, I went, I signed up, one of the founders pitched me for investment via LinkedIn, uh, and I looked at it, and I went in and I signed up and I went through the experience. Before I know it, I was getting inundated with people who wanted me to be on the show, and Every experience so far has been simple and pleasant, and, and these have been the outcomes. Podcasts are an incredible emerging channel, right? I mean, look how you're utilizing it right now. Yeah. Um, the growth hacker at themission.org has done an incredible job of getting the mission's podcast from nowhere to like top 10 uh, in their category pretty quickly. In fact, it was such an interesting story. I got, I, I put him up to speak and nominated for him to speak, uh, nominated him to, to speak at the growth hackers conference because, uh, the story about how he got the mission podcast up to the top of the rankings was fascinating. Um, people don't know how to optimize podcast rankings right now, the way they know how to optimize search engine rankings. I think that's a cool channel that we don't know much about yet. And then I think everything that's happening from this work from home stuff, uh, the different tools that we're going to be utilizing for this. Um, how are we going to be able to integrate um, growth tactics into that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, that part of it. Because anytime you change the way people communicate, that creates a new channel. Okay, so 
you said Xfinity, you said the matchmaker.fm eight. Are you saying both? Those are kind of a hot of Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying voice voice activated um and visually activated search uh channels. Okay. Um, um as other ways to get found. Yeah. And, and and then I'm saying uh these niche marketplaces like Matchmaker. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And then my last question, who is the most influential person either influencing you or just in general in sales or marketing today? So today, um, so there's a few people. I, I follow a lot of, a lot of people um, around this. Um, from a sales perspective, I mean, Rackham has always been great for a framework, but um, thinking more about um, generally, I love Andy Paul's work. Uh, with his Accelerate podcast. I think he is one of the smartest guys on the planet. Yep. Um, I think he does fantastic work if you're talking about functionally. Um, I look outside of sales and I look more into neuroscience, neuromarketing. In fact, I think you and I had a long conversation online one day about neuromarketing. Yeah. Um, and I'm an amateur human behaviorist, let's say. Um, so I look at people like um, Dr. Robert Sapolsky out of Stanford. I look at Dr. David Eagleman out of Baylor. I look at Sam Harris. I look at Jordan Peterson. I look at Dan Pink. Um, I look at Nir Eyal, who's a great friend and a, cat, a mentor at the Growth X Academy um, for sales and marketing, because I want to think and talk about how people behave um, and what moves them. Um, and, and I try to do it in the most ethical way possible. Um, so I'm constantly... Uh, uh, um, I just read this fantastic book on, um, it's called The Catalyst uh, by Jonah, I think it's Steinberg. Um, the name's, I'm going to screw this up. But it's all about change and how people manage change and how you can help them manage change. Because I believe that the number one, the number one competitor we all have in this world is inertia, homeostasis. The, the biophysical... Um, limitations we place on ourselves by wanting to not do anything differently than we're already doing it. And so change to me, or the lack thereof, is the number one competitor. Um, so those are a few examples of the people that I follow. James Clear with his Atomic Habits are fantastic. Ryan Holiday in the Daily Stoic. Um, uh, Shane Parrish in the Knowledge Project. You know, these are all dailies that I consume and I try to apply them in the concepts of sales and marketing. Because again, as I said, sales to me is, I think it's the greatest profession in the world. Uh, I don't think anything happens without it. Um, and I think sales and marketing are inexorably linked and they need to be more friendly than, 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 than they are um, yeah. as a whole. Um, so I'm always trying to look at different ways of influencing and moving humans in a positive direction through both sales and marketing practices. But I think the best leadership comes from outside of it. I don't think it comes from within it with respect to everybody that's in it, of course. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, very well said. I, I also take concepts from outside of sales. I've been reading uh, um, Ray uh, Dalio's principles book. Principles. Yes. Fantastic. Highly, uh, highly recommend it. It's long, but uh, he, it's pretty intriguing the whole way through. He walks through his life, then he walks through his principles and why he does it and provides, you know, very transparent explanations as to why he does it. Taking those and applying it to sales and marketing um, yeah. is very relevant. Um, highly recommend the book. 
I completely agree. I mean, if you go to the growthx.com website and you look at our core values, we put them right up there because I've been around long enough to know that it's, I, I'm more concerned about the people I work with, not what I do. Yeah. And, and I want the world to know. And this is another Seth Godin thing. He's like, when you're marketing, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that share your worldview and those that don't, right? Seek out the ones that share your worldview and tell them the truth. Well, that'll nurture them closer to you. And just as importantly, it'll nurture the people that don't agree with you further away so you don't have to waste each other's time. And that's what it is. It's a lot of waste of time. So let's wrap things up. Um, to hire Sean or his team and to help commercialize new innovations or find products or market fit, email him. And I can't believe he's giving out his email address, but he is. Sean, S-E-A-N, at growthx.com. Okay. And Sean, is there any other way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Sean A. Shepard. They can, uh, of course, at GrowthXVC or at uh, GX Academy. Also on Twitter and Instagram, they can connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn. Um, hit me up on Facebook, any of, those, any of those ways. And then, of course, they can go to our websites, GrowthX.com and, uh, and GXAcademy.com. Wonderful. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review for us in the Apple Podcasting Google Play App Stores. Thanks again, Sean. This is wonderful. I uh, I think people listening to this, um, you, you could have charged for this uh, podcast. So please, if you're listening, go back and listen to it again. Take notes and best of luck to you out there. I know it's a tough time, but you will pull through. A reminder that we are not financial advisors and anything we talk about or refer to on the show should not be considered or construed as financial advice. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions.